Jesus Christ is our living hope. And by hope, we do not mean wishful thinking. By hope, we mean this. Hope is the confident expectation of a guaranteed result that changes the way I live. That's biblical hope. The confident expectation of a guaranteed result that changes the way I live. And we worship a resurrected God, a resurrected King, who has promised to resurrect us, not because of anything we've done, but because of His goodness, His righteousness, His life, His death, His resurrection. We are in Christ. And just as Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, so we, our lives have been raised with Christ in the heavenly realms. And this is why we gather here. And so we want to welcome you here at Windsor Road. If you are here for the very first Sunday, uh, we just want to extend a warm, warm greeting to you. My name's Randy. I'm privileged to, to serve as the lead minister here at the church. I'm going to be in a room called the Fireside Room that's through these glass doors and to the right. And it would just be a joy to get a few moments of uh, FaceTime with you and to pray with you and to hear your story and uh, to spend a little bit of time together here um, as in, our, in our time of worship. So welcome, welcome. My dedication to this sacred duty is total and wholehearted. In the responsibility bestowed on me, never will I falter. And with dignity and perseverance, my standard will remain perfection. Through the years of diligence and praise and the discomfort of the elements, I will walk my tour in humble reverence to the best of my ability. It is he who commands the respect I protect. His bravery that has made us so proud, surrounded by well-meaning crowds by day, alone in the thoughtful peace of night, this soldier will in honored glory rest under my eternal vigilance. That's a poem called The Sentinel's Creed, and it's memorized by the tomb guard stationed at the Tomb of the Unknown in Arlington Cemetery. Earning the tomb guard identification badge is considered the elite of the elite in the United States Army. Applicants must be in the 3rd Infantry Regiment, called the Old Guard, and they show up for a two-week trial where they're tested over uniform, the history of the tomb, and they must memorize verbatim a seven-page pamphlet on Arlington Cemetery. Those who pass that two-week trial interview process are then put through nine months of rigorous training with more testing on the uniform, knowledge, behavior, and each test is progressively difficult more memorization involves a 35-page manual, including punctuation, twice off if you miss a comma. If you score 95% out of 100%, you fail. And no one ever gets 100%. And those that pass over the nine months, the progressively difficult tests then are afforded the privilege of serving the tomb guard 
for one to one and a half years. And they serve with six others on a 24 on, 24 off schedule. 24 hours a day, 30 minutes in the summer, one hour in the winter. And that's been going on since 1937. Which includes 9-11, when the Pentagon was attacked. The ceremonial guard was replaced by a battle-ready guard. And then there was Hurricane Sandy that hit D.C. The storm was so fierce that the sentinels were given permission to seek shelter away from their post. And you know what they did. They stayed throughout the entire storm. That tomb's been guarded 24-7 since 1937. Now that's a picture of our word for today. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. And then Paul says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And then Paul says in Galatians 6.10, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And then Paul says in Galatians 5.10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. So we're in a series of messages over this portion of the scripture in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, a text that you'll find on page 975 of your church Bibles. And this portion discusses the fruit, or that is the harvest, or the crop of God's Spirit. And the premise is this. When you become a Christian, God moves into your life and begins to affect change from the inside out. Much of religion is nothing more than an artificial Christmas tree with ornaments. Yes, an artificial tree. Man-made ornaments hung on artificial branches, attractive, they sparkle, the lights are colorful, but it's an outside-in approach. Biblical Christianity, rather, speaks of the God who enters our life both personally and corporately as a congregation. And he begins to change us day by day, degree by degree, so that we be begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ. 
And it's not an outside-in approach. Rather, it's an inside-out approach, which means there are no gimmicks. We offer you no gimmicks in Christian growth. Rather, what's being offered is a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever he does prospers. So says Psalm chapter 1. And so today we consider that dimension of the Spirit's fruit in our lives, faithfulness, faithfulness. I smell a definition coming. What do we mean when we consider this word faithfulness? Well, faithfulness comes from a very common word in the New Testament. And it's the word pistis. Pistis. Let's say that together on three. One, two, three. Pistis. So there's three uses of this word pistis in the New Testament. First, uh, a body of beliefs or a set of teachings. So Jude, verse 3, speaks of the faith, the pistis, that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's the first use. Then the second use has to do with confidence or dependence upon or active trust. You can see this in Galatians chapter 3, verse 11. When it says the righteous shall live by pistis, by faith, dependence on, trust and reliance upon God. And then there's the third use, which Paul uses here in Galatians 5, 22. It's faithfulness, trustworthiness, reliability or dependability. And you might ask, well, if it's the same word, how do we know which of these three uses? That's a great question. That's part of what it is to study Scripture and find the context. And what is the context? And what we see here is that these character traits have to do with our relationship with God, love, joy, peace, and then patience, kindness, goodness have to do with our internal relationship, and then faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control deal with our relationships with one another. So we're dealing with this notion of faithfulness or dependability or reliability in our interpersonal relationships. I'm thinking of Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6, where it says, Many will say that they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly faithful? So faithfulness is the talk is cheap trait of the Spirit's fruit. Faithfulness does its job in rain, sleet, or snow. Faithfulness stands watch no matter who is watching. Faithfulness keeps promises even when it hurts. Faithfulness can be relied upon to do what needs to be done. Faithfulness doesn't ask, is it convenient or comfortable or costly? Faithfulness finishes the job. So here's the definition. Faithfulness is spirit-supplied consistency committed to long-term loyalty. 
spirit-supplied consistency committed to long-term loyalty. Note the two parts to this definition. First, faithful people practice consistency. Faithfulness implies predictability. It's like my morning newspaper. I can count on waking up to the plop of the newspaper on my front porch each morning. I've never met the person who brings me the paper, and they've never stopped to ring my doorbell to ask me what's going on in my life. I don't know if he really cares about me or any of my neighbors, and that's okay. All I really want is the paper. Same time every day. Consistency. That takes us to the second part. Long-term loyalty. Faithful people are dependable. Faithful people follow through. You don't have to check up on them. You don't have to worry that though they did a good job this week, uh, are they going to fumble next week? Faithful people demonstrate dependability in routine ways. What they say they'll do, they do. When they promise to complete a project on time and on budget, it happens. Faithful people land the plane. And they do this with such consistency that it brings calm to whatever room they enter. And now a word to those in leadership. Hear me on this. Your consistency calms your team. Your team's watching you. They watch how you dress. They watch your moods. They note your reactions. They hear the tone of your voice. There's a lot of anxiety in life. Perhaps it would be beneficial if you, the leader, were the least anxious person in the room. Here's a helpful quote that I found this week on faithfulness. True fulfillment is found in an ordinary life of faithful service to an extraordinary God, not an extravagant life of novel distractions. In a culture that celebrates newness and innovation and excitement as inalienable rights, we're tempted to believe that living an ordinary life of faithfulness to an ancient God is a stale alternative. But I'm telling you what, an ordinary life of faithfulness to an extraordinary God is anything but stale. And that's why the Apostle Paul would say this of Timothy in 1 Corinthians 4, 17. He calls Timothy his beloved and faithful child. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says of Timothy, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For, for everyone else seeks their own interests, not the, those of Christ Jesus, but you know Timothy's character. So a faithful person is someone you know you can depend on. Spirit-supplied consistency, long-term loyalty. That's the definition. You may be asking, though, well, I mean, what makes this supernatural? 
Well, I mean, why, why is this supernaturally endowed by the Spirit? Oh, that's easy. Because we're not naturally faithful. We're not. We're naturally non-committal. You see, faithfulness is going to cost us something. It's going, to, it's going to cost us our freedom. And sadly, our culture has turned the freedom of selflessness into freedoms of self-determination, self-expression, and self-interest. According to author Robert Bella in his book, Habits of the Heart, freedom turns out to be the right to be left alone by others or the right to live in isolation of others, or to be free from the demands of others. The freedom to do what I want with no obligations to anyone, which of course sounds liberating, and yet this quest for freedom has created its own bondage, and here's what I mean by that. So Mondays are typically my days off, and... Um, I don't know how many Mondays have passed where, you know, I awaken and I think, ah, oh, the entire day is before me, you know. What am I going to do today? And I think about, oh, shall I play golf? Or shall I ride my bike? Or shall I read the paper? Well, of course, I've already heard the plop. Maybe there are some errands, a movie, a workout, definitely a workout. Should I call someone? Choices, choices, choices. But I can't do all of them in one day. And if I choose A, then I may not be able to choose B. Or if I choose A and B, I may not be able to get to D or E. And then I might miss something. I might miss a better something. And then before long, I just kind of break out in this rash called FOBO. Phobo, fear of a better option. Has this, has this ever infected anyone? It's paralyzing. Phobo is an acronym invented by a Harvard MBA graduate named Patrick McGinnis. After 9-11, uh, he said, you know, all you wanted to do was just live life to the fullest every second because you've seen your own mortality. But this mentality had a price. McGinnis found he couldn't commit to anything. He even developed, no kidding, he even developed complex algorithms to plan his social life. So every Friday night, he'd frantically crisscross Boston and Cambridge, cramming in FaceTime with anyone and everyone he knew. He even ignored a ski house he'd rented for the winter for fear of leaving town, and he'd miss something. So his phobo led to foda. His fear of a better option led to a fear of doing anything. Who will rescue me from this? The God whose name is faithful. That's who. God the Father, Son, and Spirit. As Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, 
who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And Isaiah 49, 7, the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. So God, the faithful, kept his promise and delivered Israel from Egyptian slavery. And he punished Pharaoh. And he fed Israel in the wilderness 40 years. He gave food, water, and protection from the enemies. Psalm 36, 5 says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Remember that old hymn, Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. It's one of the most popular hymns of all times. But you know from where those words originate? They're found right smack dab in the middle of lamentations during the hardest time in Israel's history when suffering for their own unfaithfulness. Hear these words in Lamentations 3, 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Here it comes. Great is your faithfulness. And our God's ultimate display of faithfulness came in the sending of his own son, of whom it is said in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, Jesus is the merciful and faithful high priest. Hebrews 3, 2, Jesus is faithful to the God who appointed him. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, Jesus is the faithful witness. Jesus, whose name is faithful and true. And Jesus, of whom Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, the one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Here's what that means. It means when Jesus says something, he means it. Jesus said to the woman caught in the act of adultery, neither do I condemn you. He means it. No condemnation. When Jesus told Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. He did. And when Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you, he means it. I'm not going to leave you in success, failure, the best of health, the worst disease you could ever suffer, celebration, calamity. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you ever. You can rely on him. And church family, hear me on. 
when you are tempted, remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. So don't try to muscle your way through temptation. Don't try to extinguish the flames of temptation with your self-willed squirt gun. Instead, look for the fire escape. Your escape route is God's faithfulness. And here's the deal. Faithfulness does restrict freedom. Jesus put on flesh and by doing so eliminated the option of a painless crucifixion. Faithfulness does eliminate individuality. Jesus put on flesh and said, I've come to do your will, O God. I and the children you have given me. And faithfulness does eliminate control. For as a sheep before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And he died. Oh, but church family, God has not called us to be sentinels of a tomb. For the tomb of our king is empty. He's not there. He is risen just as he said. He has called us to be ambassadors of the gospel news that there's a new king reigning over the heavens and the earth and that nations come and go, but the kingdom of our Lord and of our God shall stand firm forever. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In his death, burial, and resurrection, and ascension, and his seating at the right hand of the Father, Christ has now flooded us with his Holy Spirit, who now empowers us with these traits, describing the Spirit's life in and through us. Consider Hosea chapter 2, verse 2. The Lord says, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. In other words, we can't manufacture faithfulness, but we can marry into it. And that's what's happened. Our, our faithful bridegroom has brought us in to a relationship with him. And now we shall spend forever living out the reality of, of our union with Christ. So how do I know if I'm walking with God? Well, the fruit of the Spirit is impossible for us to produce, but it's not hard to discern. Living in a way that pleases God is the fruit of his miraculous work, not the result of self-effort. Wherever you see love and harmony and joy and forgiveness and kindness and steadfastness, there you see the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Galatians were not being called upon 
to work at being more virtuous. Rather, they were being summoned to walk in the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead. It's like a dance. As you dance with the Spirit, and when was the last time you heard a preacher tell you you could dance? As you, as you dance with the Spirit, let the Spirit lead. Let the Spirit lead. And He will produce a harvest. And that harvest will consist of faithfulness and consistent loyalty. And people will see our lives and get curious about the God we worship. And that's the goal. That they may see our lives and glorify our Father in heaven. Amen. So what does that look like then? On a, on a corporate level, what does that look like? I know because I see it. I see it in our church family. I see a church family that is faithful at giving generously to other ministries. I see a church family generous, generously uh, giving their time to visit the sick, to comfort the grieving, to bring baked goods and prepare funeral meals, to set up and tear down tables for memorial services and community events, to, to, to give parking passes to the families of patients who are in the hospital long term. I see it on the missions trips that happen each year. I see it in the groups that gather to, to study and delight and learn and drink in God's word and then not just be hearers of the word but to be doers of the word, to practice the word. I see it in saints who gather in the foyer and the and the fireside room, and the cafe on Sunday morning. And when, when a brother or a sister says, hey, will you pray for me? I have a need this week. Another brother or sister says, well, let's just pray right now. And here you have holy huddles of prayer going on. That's faithfulness. That's what faithfulness looks like here in this body of Christ. Faithfulness that regularly engages in worship, even when the weather's lousy and the kids don't want to get up and we have to say no to something else. People are counting on us. Faithfulness that contributes cheerfully and regularly to the support of ministry, even in times of financial uncertainty, because people are counting on God's generosity in and through his people to meet needs with love. Faithfulness that pursues forgiveness and reconciliation, even when that means having the difficult conversation or admitting that we were wrong. Faithfulness means coming alongside, even when it's inconvenient and we don't know what to say to the one who is hurting. But that's okay because most of the time, all people really need is our presence. And then when someone asks you, well, aren't you afraid of missing out on a better option? It is the Holy Spirit prompting in and through your heart that makes you say, better option? What could be better than showing the love of Christ to people who matter to Christ? 
faithfulness. Spirit-supplied consistency committed to long-term loyalty. For you were called to freedom, church family. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but in love serve one another. Amen. Let's pray the fruit of the Spirit prayer as we have throughout this series. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that this day we may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, we pray that this day we may take up our cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, we pray that this day you will fill us with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And the church said, amen.